You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 2018 minor league baseball season is in the books, and we welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, fresh off the crowning of the AAA national champion Memphis Redbirds on Tuesday night. We are uh, we're all done in 2018. We recorded the season preview episode 12 minutes ago and we have wrapped things up so far. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's how it's gone here this season. My name is Tyler Ron, Sam Dykstra and Kelsey Hennigan in New York City as uh, Kelsey was in attendance in Columbus, Ohio for the AAA National Championship game. And uh, welcome, guys. Hello. How are uh, how's the how's the day after the end of the season in the offices today? Well, I hopped off a plane in Newark, and I came straight here just to talk to you two. So it's already gone swimmingly. How long were you thinking about the Miley intro? Well, since you got off the plane in no, Newark, or I was mean, it? Be- NWK doesn't work with like LAX, <laughs> but I did think about that while getting ready this morning. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's always weird how the season kind of ends because anybody who's been listening to the podcast knows, you know, we've been talking about wrapping things up regular season last week we talked about some champions more champions were crowned we'll get into more about that later in the episode uh but the triple a national championship does really a nice job of tying things into a bow finishing things off uh it's the same day every year or it's put on the schedule Tuesday. yeah months in advance um so this isn't like a world series could go game, four games it could go seven we always know when the Meyer league season is coming to a close so uh yeah there's a feeling of finality in the office today i would say it's pretty crazy we did have one other series that could have gone until monday it did not the midwest league the peoria chiefs were able to wrap up that title in four games instead of taking it to the the full five um so yeah we are uh, we're all wrapped up thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the show before the show we're with you all off season of course as well we'll be back um coming up next week with the start of our off season episodes but wrapping up the 2018 season here this week and wherever you found us we thank you for tuning in you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription on itunes and google play and everywhere else and you can find the show at milb com slash podcast actually did that uh last night went back to episode i think like 27 and listened to our episode uh in which we interviewed blake snell from the tampa bay rays because i remember blake snell said in that interview and sam actually called this out earlier this year he told us in that interview that he wanted to be a major league all-star and i was thinking to myself what if he also slipped in there i want to win a cy young someday because Blake Snell <laughs> won his 20th game of the season yesterday. 20 games, yeah. uh, pretty amazing, and he has had uh, one heck of a run, obviously due to the show before the show bump, um, which we didn't have to give to the Memphis Redbirds, although they will get a, a posthumous bump for uh, their AAA National Championship because Stubby Clapp, the manager of the Memphis Redbirds, talked with Kelsey the other day um, in Columbus prior to the AAA National Championship game, but that game wrapped up last night. 14-4 to was the final. Memphis routing the Durham Bulls rematch of the 2017 edition of the AAA National Championship game, also with which uh, we had Kelsey in attendance. And so, Kelsey, just kind of run us through uh, this matchup. Two teams that each won their leagues to set up this rematch. It's not often that we get both repeat champions um, in the International League and the Pacific Coast League, but two teams you were familiar with seeing last year playing this game, and then they match up again this year. Um, what stood out most in 2018 versus 2017? Well, what's interesting is that, yes, it is, you know, a repeat, but all these teams, there's so much turnover. I think each team only had a handful of players that were there last year, and then you get into pitchers who didn't even play in the game. Uh, So it's, you know, it's like college, but even more so that 
getting a repeat champion is pretty difficult because it is just a completely different team. Um, but no, both clubhouses, they have young managers, Jared Sandberg and Stubby Clapp. They both were players in the early 2000s. Uh, so they both keep it fun. They keep it light. They, there's definitely a lot of joking around between the players and the manager, which I always like to see because I think that that helps them play better. And Alex Mejia, the MVP for Memphis, also said that, that their friendships help a lot. So he said that uh, the clubhouses he's been in, when the friendship is there, that's when they tend to succeed versus when it's slightly less than friendship. Um, so that was something I noticed from the beginning about how, you know, it is a rematch, but it's also pretty different. Um, and then obviously from the start, it was all Memphis hitting uh, from Alex Mejia, like I said, to Rosa Reina, Lane Thomas had a homer and a triple. Um, yes, they came out swinging, literally. Uh, and then Herget, the pitcher for Memphis, actually he was one of the guys on the Memphis roster last year and he wanted to pitch in the game but because of his like you know the, his last start was a little too recent so they said we'll put you in the bullpen maybe you'll play and he didn't get to and he was kind of disappointed by that so it was pretty cool that he got to come out and pitch for Memphis and start uh and he did pretty well too allowing two runs and five and a third so I mean it was a pretty good game overall Durham did get some runs in there Austin Meadows uh, who got recalled today up to Tampa. He got an RBI or two. Um, so, I mean, aside from the lopsided score, I think it was a pretty good game overall. And uh, one thing that I wanted to touch on, you tweeted this uh, last night. I don't think it was included in any of your coverage, but you had a preview that talked about the rematch. You had a feature about uh, Sandberg, the manager of Durham. Uh, you have this podcast interview, you have the recap and all that. But one thing that kind of got put off to the side, um, but what really stood out to me was you had a quote from Kean Wong, uh, who is the younger brother of Colton Wong, a lot of people know St. Louis Cardinals infielder, who earlier in the week uh, told, I believe, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that uh, his, he thought Kean should be in the majors already and that he was in a, quote, bad organization and that they weren't rewarding him for being a good player, being the MVP of last year's AAA National Championship. I think he was the IL MVP of the All-Star game this year. Mm -hmm. uh, goes one for five, leadoff player here. Didn't quite show up so much in the game. But you got to talk to Kean about that afterwards. What was his reaction to hearing his brother, who I think was just being a good big brother yeah. more than anything than name-calling Tampa Bay, but uh, what was his reaction to hearing that from Colton, and what did he have to say about playing in the Rays organization? Uh, well, like it says in the tweet, I mean, he said that he agreed with his brother. He wasn't, you know, he didn't apologize for him or anything like that because it's true. I mean, like I said, Durham only has, I think, two players from last year that are still there, and Kian Wong is one of them. Um, I mean, a lot of the replies to that tweet were like, well, he's not doing that well. I mean, he hit 282 this year after hitting 261 last year across Durham and AA Montgomery. So he is improving. Um, I mean, it does sound like he's frustrated, and obviously his brother's frustrated for him. I overheard a couple people think or speculate that his Colton was speaking after Kian told him something he wanted him to say. So it wasn't like just being a protective brother. He was like, you know, let me use this platform that I have as a major league player. Right. Um, but yeah, so Wong also touched on playing for all 30 teams, which when you first see that, it's kind of jarring and it's like, whoa, are you supposed to be dedicated to your organization and to your system? But that's actually something that a lot of minor leaguers talk about because trades happen, acquisitions happen, rule, the Rule 5 draft happens. There's always scouts from other teams. And so you 
you know, want to look good for everyone. You don't want to just look good when your team's watching. So I understand where he's coming from with that phrasing. And I think that's something, you know, we'll talk about more this fall is that comes up a lot in the fall league as well. Yeah. Just to jump in real quick, there's, uh, I did an interview with a Rays prospect a couple of years ago who said almost verbatim that exact same quote. And I found that fascinating that it's obviously it's not just, oh, this pervades the, the Rays system, but that it was such a similar tact to being down in the Arizona Fall League while I'm playing for all 30 teams, not just my own organization. I thought that was really interesting um, that it, it was probably just a coincidence that it was two guys from the same system. But yeah, we do hear that a lot from the AFL. It's a good point. Right. And, and well, no, go on. I was just going to say the first time I heard it was Daz Cameron, and he said he heard it from his dad, Mike Cameron. So I guess it's just been something that's been around for a while. And it, it's something players... T- talk to themselves you know amongst themselves in clubhouses and dugouts and you know passing ships whether they're on other teams whatever um you know trades happen all the time uh and to to say that you know players don't get those choices so they the only way they can help their move up either by playing well or getting noticed by somebody else having some skill that is going to be more valued in another organization is to you know do as well as they can and they'll get that reward somewhere whether it's with tampa bay or you know 29 other teams um so just to see both wongs be that upfront about something that we hear all the time um sometimes on the record sometimes off the record was i i think kind of refreshing yeah i you know I like double checked my memory that he didn't say like this is off the record and he didn't I have it recorded <laughs> um, but yeah it was very keen and that is nice because obviously there is a lot of frustrating things that happen when you're a minor leaguer and so it's good that they can voice it and maybe something positive will come of it for Kean. Kelsey, what's the the feeling like among players um, after a game like yesterday? It's kind of a strange dynamic because we know you play and you fight so long to win your own league, the International League and the Pacific Coast League. And this is just kind of a, a cherry on top for whichever team comes away with a national championship victory in the AAA National Championship game. And you get to celebrate, you get another champagne shower and all that type of stuff. But it's kind of different because you're playing a team that you didn't see at all during the season. You don't have a whole, I mean, obviously there are some crossover relationships between players, but it's a very different dynamic in that game. Um, what was the sense that you got from guys who are now, you know, looking toward the off season? get to celebrate one more time. Celebrate is kind of a, a postscript celebration to what you did winning your league. Just kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting feel with the AAA National Championship game. Yeah, I looked back, and this was Memphis's fourth champagne shower because they had the division, then the first round of playoffs, then the second round, then wait, then they won the PCL, yeah, and then, then and then right. this one. So, I mean, they talk about like in the majors with the, you know a playoff game and then like a wild card game, and, like there are too many champagne showers. And I will say that it did seem a little not subdued. But it wasn't like the craziest celebration I've seen. I remember last year Durham like went really crazy. Brent Honeywell was in the middle of it, like going crazy about winning. <laughs> and Lily Adamas, I remember and, yeah, going a little nuts a, too. A national in a good way. blanking championships. Um, but I mean, they're still excited. Actually, before they started, Stubby was like told them all, "Hey, you guys are adults. Like, let's celebrate like adults." And it, it sounded like the PCL championship celebration got a little wild. So I think that maybe that played into it. Um, but no, it's fun. Like they still are, you know, happy to win. You want to end your season on a ha- on a win, um, and like you said, it is the very end. So I'm sure there's also some relief and like 
we did it. We went through another season. And, you know, who doesn't want a W at their last game of the year? And one thing I want to throw in there, too, because we tweeted out a video of the celebration, like, on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if it was somebody from the Memphis staff or something, but they followed, you know, the dog pile and all that kind of stuff. And people were saying that seemed a little muted. Uh, you know, they, they weren't jumping all over each other. They weren't, you know, going crazy. They just won 14 to four. Like, yeah. it, it's not like, hey, this was on a, a knife's edge and we just happened to fall into the like they me- mentally prepared for it since probably, I don't know, the sixth inning at that point. Yeah, we actually have had conversations in the office about uh, dog piles and when it's OK. And like, does every World Series deserve a dog pile? <laughs> so like, if not every World Series deserves a do- dog pile, then a one game winner take all contest that some people Exhibition. I think it calls it an exhibition. Yeah, doesn't necessarily deserve a dog pile, but I think that I think they were still happy. They're still excited. They were ready to celebrate, and a couple of the coaches were like lollygagging, talking to some execs who were in the hallway, and they were, you know, they were saying, "Come on, come on!" So they definitely were excited and ready to enjoy it. So the AAA National Championship game in the books. Congratulations to the Memphis Redbirds national champs. I know the Redbirds already had it up on their uh, the marquee at AutoZone Park last night as of like 15 minutes after that game was over. Um, so a pretty cool way to finish off the season for Memphis. And uh, maybe next year, who knows, we might get round three in this, uh, you know, Ali Frazier bout series that is the Redbirds and the, uh, the Durham Bulls. And Kelsey, uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, great story up on the site, which you can check out right now. The game recap from last night and all the other coverage from the AAA National Championship game week this week and uh thanks for uh thanks for coming on thanks for giving us the insight of course thanks for having me tyler and sam so big thanks to kelsey and we'll move on uh strike two this week minor league postseason now in the rearview mirror and uh sam's got a tool shed column up on the site about the top players of the minor league baseball postseason we see um guys just kind of carry their teams from year to year sometimes in the postseason who stands out most among the uh the best performers this year sam yeah, so if anybody wants to check out that, um, I say it in the intro, but just so everybody knows, this isn't me just regurgitating who the MVPs were of each playoffs uh, across the minors, nor is it um, you know me trying to to go up against the individual leagues and say, no, this player should have actually been MVP. Uh, it's just kind of like what we do every week during the the regular season in terms of players of the week. This is me choosing my players of the postseason. Um, so I went through – all the the major uh, the major minor leagues, as it were, uh, everything except the complex leagues. So all the way from the international and Pacific Coast leagues, all the way down to Appalachian and uh, Pioneer leagues, uh, made some picks. But there's two guys I, I want to highlight uh, there. And before I do that, let me just run down so everybody knows, because I don't think we've done this yet, who the league champions were in each league: uh, Durham, Memphis, New Hampshire, Jackson, Tulsa, Rancho Cucamonga, Bowie's Creek, Fort Myers, Bowling Green, Lexington, Tri City, Valley Cats, uh, Eugene, Elizabethton, and Great Falls. So, congratulations to all those teams. Uh, in terms of individuals who kind of stood out to me one big one was gavin lux uh for the tulsa drillers uh anybody who remembers him he was the 20th overall pick in 2016 uh he's now the number six prospect in the dodger system and that's a pretty solid dodger system all things considered uh but he started out number 13 in that system to begin the year because of a down year he had last year at great lakes uh didn't really enter you know his first full season the way everybody would have hoped 
really turned things around this year. Uh, hit 324 at both Rancho Cucamonga and Tulsa, so he's one of those guys who has a chance to get two rings, having started out the year at the Cal League champions, ending the year with the Texas League champions. Um, but uh, started to show a, lo- a good amount of power, ended up with 15 homers, uh, also stole 13 bases. In the postseason, uh, you know, he, he was playing up a level, Again, finishing out the year, double-A Tulsa. He went 14 for 33, so that's a 424 average, with two homers, five doubles, and eight runs scored in eight games. Uh, he actually homered on the first pitch of game three uh, to help Tulsa sweep San Antonio, and that San Antonio team was very good. Um, so, you know, everything that he was doing in season, he carried over to the postseason. Uh, that, that's going to obviously leave a great taste in his mouth, great taste in the Dodgers' mouth in terms of who is he going forward? He's definitely going to hit. Uh, is he a shortstop? Is he a second baseman? They'll have to kind of figure that out uh, as the years goes on. But either way, he certainly showed a plus bat uh, this season everywhere he played. Uh, so to see him carry that into the the postseason and playing up a level at just 20 years old, he's going to turn 21 in November, is certainly big for him. Uh, the other one I want to feature real quick is Kevin Biggio, uh, obviously in the Toronto Blue Jay system. Uh, big season that of him he was not ranked among blue jays prospects coming into the year now he's currently number nine uh he was the eastern league mvp he hit 26 homers had 20 stolen bases on a new hampshire team that we feel like we talked about year in and year out uh so it was really just that they won the eastern league championship of course uh but he continued to perform same way uh you know during the eastern league playoffs went six for 20 that's a 300 average with a homer a double and a league best nine rbis over six games he also swiped three bags tying the el uh you know leaders in bobichette john birdie and santiago espinal which of course were his teammates with the fisher cats so uh those are two infielders that already had their stocks coming up going into the postseason uh you know between them they end up playing what you know, 15 games, 14, 15 games. Um, but still to do that in a big spot, to do that when your team really needs it is only going to help their case. Uh, Biggio is actually going on to the AFL next uh, where he'll play under our guest this week, Stubby Clapp. Uh, Stubby Clapp is the manager of the team that Kevin Biggio will be playing with in the AFL alongside Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So that'll be very exciting. But he's listed as an outfielder. Well, see how he can carry that to the fall league but in terms of minor leagues uh really cool to see him end in this way so uh you'll get to see some of these guys continue it's just so uh it's so bittersweet once we get to this time of the year it's like yeah cool congratulations all these uh all these players and then it's like oh we don't get to watch you again for like seven months <laughs> it's kind of a bummer but some of them moving on to the arizona fall league uh so keep an eye on those guys and uh strike three this week sam last one to wrap up the minor league postseason um we had some interesting and strange routes to minor league titles this year from certain teams when you look back 10 years from now which championship team from 2018 will be the most surprising which as you phrased it will we look back on in astonishment in 10 years yeah i think this is sometimes i get myself caught on baseball reference uh you know just searching backlog minor league teams and realizing this player played with that guy yeah in you know 1994 Uh, i remember doing that last year uh with vladimir guerrero you know for a piece i did uh when he was elected to the hall of fame what were his 
what did his double A teams look like? Uh, I think Jose Vidro was there. Uh, you know, Charlie Montoya was who I ended up talking to for that piece because he was on that team. Now, you know, a longtime manager of the Durham Bulls, now a part of the Tampa Bay Rays coaching staff. Uh, just really funny things that you can find going through the backlogs of minor league teams. Um, so who from the champions this year are we going to look at in 10 years and say, really, those guys were together at that point in their careers? Um, you know, I hope we never forget that. Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov played together, and you know I hope they stay together and form either the top or the middle of, of the Twins lineup for a long time. Uh, um, but just that Fort Myers miracle team that ended up winning the Florida State League championship, um, you know that that team was just fully loaded by the, those two alone. Um, I think those two are going to be really special going forward. Uh, I think Lewis kind of solidified himself in terms of being one of the top shortstop prospects in the game of course he was the first overall pick in 2017 so everybody already thought highly of him but for him to beat those expectations this year uh was really cool to see continue to show a plus bat uh show a little bit more power than i was expecting he hit 14 homers this year ended up stealing 28 bags a lot of people thought he was going to end up moving to center field at some point maybe not this early uh, but looking more and more like a shortstop uh, so that's really cool alex kirloff uh led all of the minor leagues this year in extra base hits with 71 and 130 games uh this is his first year back from tommy john surgery so he did not play at all in 2017 uh to see him do well and to see both of them rewarded in this way with the florida state league championship um you know right now kirloff is ranked as number 30 overall in the game lewis is at temp number 10 wouldn't be surprised at all to see them both be number 20 or top 25 or top 20 uh going into 2019 and not just because of graduations i think because they both improved their games that much uh that the twins are going to boast you know two of the best position player prospects in the game and the, the fact that they have come up together so well both starting the year at class a cedar rapids then moving up to class a advanced fort myers and ending it with an fsl ring is really cool one other name to mention from that team uh, another kind of pop-up prospect was bruce dark Gratterall, uh who is now the number 77 overall prospect in the game uh finished the year with a 2.74 era and 107 strikeouts and 102 winnings uh this is a guy who just straight throws gas uh, only 20 years old six foot one 180 uh wasn't necessarily on a lot of people's you know like top 100 radars coming into the year uh he was the number seven prospect in the twins to begin the year now he's at number four like i said bumped himself into the top 100 um but right now three of the four twins top prospects were on that fort myers team they're going to be banking on those guys big time going forward um, you know, you can already tell they're planning for the future with this whole Byron Buxton mess, uh, keeping him down, trying to keep him in the system uh, for one more year, delay his free agency. So, you know, they they know what's coming in between Kirilov, you know, Stephen Gonzalez has made it up there this year. Nick Gordon's not too far away. Brent Rooker had a really solid season. Uh, they can see the the groundswell of youth coming and i think it's going to be really spearheaded by the guys who are on that fort myers team uh one other team to just mention real fast because it came together very late didn't win a championship but i was still astonished by the roster that they had through the postseason was the princeton rays in the appalachian league uh wander franco was somebody we talked about a ton this year uh might be our breakout prospect we're, we're going through milby stuff now uh but he'll certainly be in the conversation for you know maybe a top 20 15 even 10 overall prospect going into 2019 with the way he hit 
at rookie ball this year. Um, and joining him were first round picks, Matthew Libertor, Shane Boz from 2017, who they, who the Rays picked up as the player to be named later in the Chris Archer deal and Shane McClanahan. Just a really, really exciting roster. I, th- I think all of those guys are going to go different places uh, in 2019, especially McClanahan, probably going to start out next year at Class A Advanced Charlotte. Uh, all the other guys he will be at Bowling Green. Maybe they, they allow Franco to skip and go to Charlotte. Who knows? We'll have to see. Um, but just the fact that all four of those guys came together for the postseason, uh, we might be really surprised that they were together even for just a couple weeks uh, come you know 2028. And that will do it pour one out for the 2018 minor league season which is now officially behind us didn't didn't actually end until the end of three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show just kidding we've still got way more coming up on this week's episode um including the manager of the triple a national champion memphis redbirds stubby clap got a chance to catch up with kelsey ennigan from the triple a national championship game in columbus ohio before his team rolled over the durham bulls to a triple a national championship stubby clap from the st louis cardinals organization and triple a memphis joins the show next All right, this is Kelsey Hennigan with MILB.com. I am joined here by Stubby Clapp, the manager of the Pacific Coast League champions, Memphis Redbirds. They're back here at the AAA National Championship for the second straight year. Uh, so, Stubby, is it just old hat now being back? Uh, I don't know if it's old. I don't know if it's old hat, but it's uh, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting to see uh, these guys come out and uh, get this opportunity after working hard, so hard all year and uh, kind of going through the transitions that they've gone through as far as you know roster changes and and all that fun stuff. So uh, we're looking forward to it. I know you played in this game back in 2000 with Pujols and Matt Morris. What did you learn from? That, I know that was a series back then, but what did you learn from that experience? Um, well, I learned that I liked the one-game challenge. <laughs> uh, the the three-game series was was uh, the three-game series was a little bit much at the end of the year like that. Uh, but I definitely liked the one-game challenge and uh, look forward to just winner take all. What type of uh, strategy does that present? Um, you mean you just come out and play? I mean, uh, you come out and play, give it what you got. You've got uh, your pitching staff that you have. You know, for the most part, there's a day off or two days off in between. So. Uh, your bullpen gets a full rest, and you've got uh, all hands on deck, and you just go at it. Now, you know, in 2001, you got called up with the Cardinals to play 23 games. How does that experience help you relate to AAA players now? Well, actually, that's a really good question. It, it helps me relate in, in, in the way that I know what it's like to get called up. I know what it's like to be a fringe player where you're kind of going up and down um, and understanding those uh, difficulties of wanting to be in the big leagues, but sometimes you're stuck in AAA. Um, so I, I kind of understand their emotions that they're going through and being able to relate to them that way and, and help them um, get through those next stages to get to uh, to get to the big leagues and, and learn how to stay in the big leagues. Um, so I think, you know, kind of that atmosphere, that, that idea of being able to relate to them uh, on that level helps. I know your first season of coaching was in 2007 with Greenville. Uh, Rodney, Rodney Linares was your manager. He's now Fresno manager. Uh, you guys didn't do so well. I think you're 17 and 51. Uh, what you hit it right on the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that year. 17 and 51, our first year. Uh, and our pitching coach, Doc Ballou, he was the one that, uh, you know, he talked Rodney and I through it because he had been through it for so long. And, uh, you know, that was my first year coaching. It was almost my last year of coaching because of uh, because of the way that season went. And, uh, you know, Doc really talked to us and kept us in it. And uh, my hat's off to him because he's the one that, you know, kind of kept me in this role. 
Yeah, is there anything you've taken away from that season that has helped you through it all? Yeah, sometimes you just, uh, there's things you, you can't control. You know, you can't control the results on the field. You can control uh, how to help prepare guys and how to help guys prepare themselves in routines and uh, information. And, and nowadays, you know, we have so many numbers and analytics that can help prepare. And you, and you can teach that stuff and you can help them do that but in the end it's uh, it's them that have to perform on the field so uh, it helps you take a step back and release kind of let go and just mm -hmm. let them get let them go play and see what happens yeah uh, while you can't control what's on the field uh, you do have back-to-back -back PCL championships you've been named a manager of the year in the PCL uh, what has been the key for you um, I think being able to relate to the players, uh, being able to relate to their emotions, the struggles they go through every day, being able to relate to them uh, on the field with the with the uh, intensity that's happening, and being able to control thought process um, and help them through that uh, when the game speeds up and help them slow it down um, and understand the big picture, uh, helping them understand the process of getting to the big leagues and then staying in the big leagues. I think that's all helped, um, and then just you know, trusting those guys and and earning their trust, so that they so that they'll uh, reciprocate it back and and we go about our day like that. <laughs> and then uh, I know Memphis has already retired your number. What does the city and the club mean to you? I love Memphis. Uh, Memphis has been great to me. You know, they're great to me for my four years as a player, um, and it's been great to me these first two years as as the AAA manager there, and uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Is there pressure when you already have a number retired and you're still <laughs> active? Uh, no, you know, I, I you know, I, I kind of take that all in, in, in just, you know, I just take it all as a, a you know, just a number retired. Um, there's still a big job to do, you know, uh, getting these guys ready to uh, to play in the big leagues for the big league team is kind of what I focus on. I'm not worried about all that other uh, stuff. It's That's just a side, side I guess, a side benefit, mm -hmm. and uh, we just take it like that. And then obviously your predecessor Mike Schlitt has uh, gone and become the Cardinals manager. What does that? How much does that help you realize that like this system does care about the growth of the managers too, not just the uh, players? Yeah, I think actually I think if you look at that staff, uh, excuse my numbers if they're wrong. I'm gonna say five or six guys are are Cardinal people mm -hmm. on that staff now. So I mean that gives you. Uh, that gives you a, a vote of confidence that if you do your work and, and you work hard and, and help produce the athletes that uh, potentially when something opens up you might get a chance so um, that's why we're here and we all want to be in the big leagues we all want the players to be in the big leagues and, and uh, when you see stuff like that it gives you a vote of confidence to keep going yeah what would that mean to you if you were up in the majors with your players who you came up with oh, I mean obviously that'd be nice I mean mm -hmm. that's that's you know that's always you know it would be a fun part of it but uh, you know, my job here is to continue to get these guys that are coming in from Double A and A ball and stuff like that, and continue to fine tune them from from where they're coming from and get them ready for the next level. And that's that's how I look at it. I don't worry about uh, getting to the big leagues. It's, that's out of my control. Mm -hmm. So um, I think just focusing day to day on on what I can control, and that's preparing these guys that are here for now, and and that's how I'll go at it. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago, you told one of my colleagues, Chris Bumbaca, that the season was like a hiking trail in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Uh, can you just <laughs> explain to me about that? Yeah, the uh, the Manitou Incline uh, Trail. It's a uh, it's a it's a railroad tie uh, trail, and it's a mile straight up. And when you start off in the bottom, it's a nice smooth pace. And as you get about uh, midway, then the angle, you know, increases. 
and then right when you think you're like yeah about halfway and you look up and you realize you're only about a quarter of the way um, it, it, that's the way the season has felt this year just just with the the transactions and the roster moves and stuff like that um, the weather you know the weather delays especially in the playoffs um, this year you know it's just like you think you're getting right to the top and it's almost there and then you got even bigger steps to take so um, it's been a lot of fun and, and we did that with with my staff and uh, if you ask my staff we all kind of relate to that trail hike that one day that this is the way the season's gone and we're going to finish it and we're going to finish strong like we did there yeah, good team bonding exercise. It was. It was good. Good staff. Good staff uh, exercise, and we enjoy that stuff. We uh, we always try and find somewhere to go and and experience something other than baseball together and uh, and grow together. And then when this podcast airs on Thursday, the game will already be behind us. It'll be the off season. <laughs> uh, what does what does that bring to mind? It'll be the off season for some. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've got to go to Arizona and manage in <laughs> Arizona for six more weeks. Oh, so. in instructor? Yeah, um, at the Arizona Fall League. Oh, right, right. So I, I'm going to get to go do that. But uh, you know what? Uh, tell you what, I'm going to look back and I'm going to uh, be absolutely grateful for the opportunity, absolutely grateful for the staff that I had this year and the players that we've had and the trials and tribulations that we went through um, because uh, if you're not grateful for it, um, I don't know what you can be grateful for. You know, it's it's been a great season so far, and it's been a lot of fun. And I love these guys. What are you looking forward to about the AFL? Uh, obviously, new challenges. You know, going to have uh, five five teams besides mine um, to deal with as far as players and uh, creating new relationships with those players and those and the new staff members that I'll be with and uh, trying to create that uh, that winning atmosphere in a short term. Uh, window. It's going to be a lot of fun to to have that challenge, and uh, be able to uh, see if we can have some fun out there too. All right, great. Well, I think that's all I have. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I just uh, you know what it's been like. Like like I said, it's been a lot of fun, and I owe a lot of gratitude and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of thankfulness uh, to my staff and my players this year. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, my hats off to them. All right, great. Uh, again, that was Stubby Clapp, the manager of the PCL champion. Memphis Redbirds. Back to you, Tyler and Sam. Well, with everything wrapped up for 2018 on the field, off the field, the affiliation shuffle has uh, finally seen the dust settle. And we got a whole lot of teams headed into 2018 with new affiliates at the AAA level and some other movement around the minor leagues. And we bring in Benjamin Hill to cover that and a whole lot more with us. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra. Sitting to my root, my root, <laughs> to my right, to my right. I'll, I'm I'll constantly shifting out. between your right and your left. Yeah, I know this. Uh, the podcast is an audio medium, and we need to be very precise here. You are sitting to my right, not my root, and we are in conference room 5M, very spacious. And this is in advance of a whole uh, staff editorial meeting where we will be brainstorming things that will bring delight to hopefully many of the listeners yeah so the off season will definitely be packed based on what we decide here in this room in the next two hours what yeah. i really like is imagining right now you guys are uh, we're 10 minutes away from the start of the meeting we just started this segment so i like imagining everybody crowding around the door and just staring in at you 10 minutes from now waiting for us to wrap this up and making you very uncomfortable that we're going long because undoubtedly we will go that way because we have a, a lot to cover today so i'm going to talk as slowly as possible and make it really uncomfortable for you two yeah, it's cool. I'll just hold up one finger. You know, not, not profane hang or anything, on, but just hang you know, on. hold up. Hang on, you people. Yeah, hang on up, out there. Up, you yeah, just wait. We're on. almost done. <laughs> Art, 
art is being created, you cannot rush the artistic process. No. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of these affiliation changes. Uh, as soon as you get used to some teams being in certain locales, they are on the move for 2019. Here's just a rundown at the AAA level of what we've got moving into 2019. The Fresno Grizzlies, formerly an affiliate of the Houston Astros this season, next year, Washington Nationals. Las Vegas 51s will be moving into a brand new ballpark where they will not be the AAA affiliate of the New York Mets. They'll be the AAA affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. The A's former AAA affiliate, the Nashville Sounds, now with the Texas Rangers going into 2019. The Rangers former AAA affiliate, the Round Rock Express, are now with the Houston Astros. San Antonio Missions are moving up from AA to AAA in 2019. They will no longer be a San Diego Padres affiliate. They will now be the Milwaukee Brewers AAA affiliate. That one makes sense. Colorado Springs Sky Sox, who were the Brewers affiliate, obviously moving out of AAA into San Antonio. So that's a move that uh, falls in line with what you would assume with all of that rearranging. The Washington Nationals, formerly in uh, AAA in the International League in Syracuse, that will be a Mets affiliate. And the Helena Brewers, formerly the Pioneer League affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, they have moved. Uh, they'll be in AAA Colorado Springs, uh, formerly AAA Colorado Springs. So Helena now without a team. So a lot of dominoes falling, seven teams really rearranging their affiliations in that shuffle um ben this is a very busy year we've had a couple of years that have been a little bit calmer than this but this is there's a lot of movement this year especially the triple a level well yeah a, a lot of movement at the triple a level which you just you know ran down um but i think big picture when we look at overall the number of affiliations that could have changed i don't think it'll be uh, much more than usual in fact it might be a little less because Everything's been centered around AAA at this point, and most of the other levels are set and close to it. And not just AAA. This is this is entirely the Pacific Coast League outside of uh, Syracuse now being a Mets affiliate, and that's because the Mets own the team. So the PCL is really the one making the waves here, um, and you know we still have about you know more than a week to go in this process. It might get settled before then. Uh, so we might see a few other things at the lower levels, but basically what we're talking about now is going to be the bulk of what happens and also because it's AAA and larger markets, uh, also the ones that get the most attention. And kind of go into why this happens. I mean, why is there this much movement? Like you said, you know, Syracuse, we understand because the Mets bought the team essentially, uh, wanted to be closer to home. And, you know, that's one way of going about it. But, uh, you know, how did the Nationals end up being – a you know a parent club of Fresno for example why do the A's go to Las Vegas and it sounded like it came down to uh, you know the Rangers and the Nats for Nashville uh, how did some of these happen and, and why is there this much or this specific movement I guess I mean well broadly speaking and uh, I mean you guys can all speak to this you know there's different criteria that both parties are looking for you know we always use the mating rituals or you know dating analogies when talking about uh, maybe not mating rituals yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Everybody's dancing around yeah. everybody doing something. Yeah, but the, there there is like the kind of dating relationship analogies that go through the you know, go into these things um where both parties are looking for specific things and hopefully find a good match um you know, proximity is not the be all and end all, but it's certainly important, um, you know, for both parties, you know, to be close to, to be close to one another, uh, you know, on the major league level, um, you really want that, especially with your AAA team, uh, for call-ups, um, you know, it gets more complicated than that because your AAA team's not always at home and they might be in some far flung locale when you need the call-up, but, re uh, regardless, proximity is good. And also for, uh, you know, for men, members of the major league front office to be able to visit said place and uh you know not just in triple a but you want your whole system to be as close as possible for all the movement 
been going on from A to advanced and double A, triple A and what have you. Um, you know, in the major league level, they're looking for, in addition to proximity, um, a big part of it is, uh, you know, the, the quality of the facility. This is about player development. So newer ballparks with better player amenities are going to be much more important. And uh, so that is obviously a huge factor. And, um, you know, kind of tying in with the proximity, um, travel is important just in terms of um, how easy it is to get in and out of a place. Um, Vegas, you know, and the Mets were not good uh, as a fit, obviously, geographically. And at the time, you know, the Las Vegas 51s were in an older ballpark, and that wasn't good either. They're moving to a new one next year. But if you look at a place like Vegas, there are flights in and out of Vegas to all sorts of locations every day, including at night. Um, compare that to somewhere like Fresno, and that's one of the reasons that Fresno is not desirable uh, for a lot of teams is because that's a small airport. So you're just talking about the logistics of player movement, the physically getting the bodies from place to place. It become a lot more difficult in that sort of setting. Uh, so this time around, um, you know, a lot of it, we kind of knew what was going to happen in advance. A lot we didn't. Um, some, including myself, had just sort of you know, lazily, kind of complacently assumed that um, San Antonio now in AAA would end up with the Texas Rangers just because, hey, it's it's Texas. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I had kind of overlooked the fact that that AAA club had previously been in Colorado Springs. It had been a Brewers affiliate. And also on the other side of that is that the Rangers, um, you know, they sacrificed some in proximity, but to get to a far better facility. Um, San Antonio has one of now they're going to AAA. They have one of the, you know, the, the worst ballparks in AAA, uh, one of the older ones, less amenities. Nashville is just four years old and one of the best. Uh, so I think uh, it was kind of assumed not just by me but a lot of other people it wouldn't shake out that way and it would either be the Nats or the Brewers in Nashville and it turned out to be the Rangers um the big loser in all of this and um you know again to use the analogy is you know just the last two people at the bar at closing time uh or the Washington Nationals having to go to Fresno Fresno is great you know promotionally their ballpark uh, Chuck Chansey Park is fairly decent but uh, again, a tough city to fly in and out of, and it's something like 2,800 miles away from uh, Washington D.C. That it puts a major strain on the Nats. Obviously, something they didn't want to, they didn't want. But with losing their affiliation with Syracuse due to the Mets buying it, and uh, they were just the odd men out, and there's really nothing you can do. And every time we see the shuffle, you always see, you know, a couple dud relationships within it where everyone puts on a good face and you have positive quotes in the press release, but it's just pretty clear that these relationships are, hap are happening just because there were literally no other options. There yeah, was you a can see that in the, the Nats announcement. Did you see the Nats announcement of announcing the PDC? It was just like the Washington Nationals <laughs> announced that they have come to, like all these other ones were like the, the Oakland Athletics are excited to announce that yeah. they, <laughs> we're, we're partnering with the Las Vegas 51s and all this kind of stuff. And it, for the Nats, it was just like, so we'll be in Fresno for two more years. Yeah, and it's the shortest amount of PDC can be because they don't go year to year; they go every two years, right? Yeah, these are two or four, you can agree to have it for two or, or four years, right? And uh, they expire. The ones that are expiring expire at the conclusion of even numbered years, right? So they'll they'll be there. It, it was just funny to watch this all shake down, and, and like you said, we'll probably have some more go down in the double A, class A, advanced class A, all all the lower levels in the coming weeks. But PCL will be drastically different next year. There was some really good stuff from uh, Josh Sushan, who's the radio voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes, and Alex Friedman, friend of the podcast, who's the radio voice of the Oklahoma City Dodgers. Um, Alex tweeted, 
uh, earlier this week, quote, just for fun, I decided to see what it takes to fly from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the Nationals double day team to Fresno. Although the cost was not as exorbitant as I thought it would be, it seems it can't be realistically done in less than nine hours when including layovers, etc. Um, Josh from Albuquerque, Josh had a good thread in which he said something to remember about the importance of geography when it comes to affiliations. On average, the major league and AAA affiliate are both home roughly 25% of the time. Last year, the isotopes and Rockies were both home on the same date only 15 times out of 140 AAA games. With just a few exceptions, the player is getting on a plane anyway and has most of the day to get there. Major League teams care more about facilities, atmosphere at games, and relationship with their AAA front office than they do geography. Um, But then did include some other notes about uh, geographic positioning for some of these things. He said, this is a complete disaster for the Nationals. While I tweeted yesterday that geography is usually overstated, it's not in this case. They will be 2,796 miles from Fresno, three time zones away, and their new AAA affiliate, as Ben just noted, has one of the smallest airports in AAA. Um, And then Josh also noted, it's not as bad as when the Pirates had their AAA affiliate in Honolulu from 1983 to 1986, which is like 9 billion miles away um so that could you know things get worse uh you could have to travel like you know six miles just from the west coast to even get to your triple a affiliate um but there's a ton that goes into this and uh yeah this is a gonna be an interesting uh position for the nationals to be in for the next couple of years yeah and follow those two guys you mentioned yeah i mean we already do but yeah. uh just uh Sushan and uh, Alex Friedman and uh, broadcasters in general. I mean, Tyler knows this. Uh, great sources of information and often have insight that no one else has because they're literally living it. And um, one thing I just want to point out because I just saw it on uh, on Josh's Twitter feed today. But if you're a minor league broadcaster who listens to this show, and I know we have a lot of them, the pin tweet on Josh's Twitter feed, and he's at Josh underscore Suchon, you can uh, send him clips of your play-by-play work from this year. Josh will give you a critique um, and send you some feedback and all that type of stuff. And Josh is truly one of the best dudes, not just in minor league baseball, but in all of baseball and, uh, and anybody that you will meet. Um, so if you're looking for somebody with a lot of AAA experience, if you're a lower-level uh, play-by-play broadcaster, um, and somebody who wants some good feedback, um, go check out Josh's Twitter feed and get in touch with him. Um, we'll continue along this week's conversation with Ben. We have crossed over 2 o'clock Mountain Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time, which means we're getting close to uh, our all-staff meeting, and I'm going to continue tap dancing to try to hang Sam and Ben out to dry in the conference room that they're occupying uh, from everybody else. But um, <laughs> Ben was in Grand Junction to wrap up the regular season uh, with the Grand Junction Rockies, the rookie-level affiliate of the Colorado Rockies, and came across a really cool story um, with a Rockies minor league pitcher who is uh, – Kind of under the radar, I think it's safe to say. Jesse Stinnett, who was uh, signed out of an independent league. He's a 23-year-old native of the state of Virginia, a guy who played um, college ball and uh, jumped into affiliated ball after starting out in um, independent ball. He went to school at Maryland Eastern Shore and then pitched in indie ball, and this year was in the Pioneer League, but does some really, really cool artwork. He does some digital artwork. Um, tell us about Jesse Stinnett's uh, sort of off-the-field uh, career that could blossom. This is really cool stuff. We were talking... Sometimes you see some work from, you know, people who get a lot of pub for uh, for their artistic talents and you think, okay, it's, you know, I can see how that appeals to some people, but maybe not necessarily me. This is one of those things that I look at and think, man, I would buy any one of these. This is really cool stuff. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, uh, Grand Junction was, you know, where I ended my travels this year, you know, final ballpark I had to visit. And, you know, just like uh, everywhere I go, I just kind of ask around, is there any anyone with an interesting story? And I was pointed to Jesse Stinnett. And, uh, you know, you gave his background, you know, not a prospect per se, but someone who's kind of hustled, hustled, grinding his way into affiliated ball. And he does what he calls, well, different mediums of art, but primarily uh, – baseball centric pop art you know so the colors you know pop you know a lot of, a lot of colors uh some exaggerated features a little bit cartoonish uh, he's done mike trout he's done a self-portrait um and he's a lot of stuff he, he designs tattoos for his teammates um there's a link in the story to his website he's on you know instagram and uh all the usual channels but i think it's just cool i mean you and sam and almost everybody else is really tapped into covering the players so when i do it i want to find uh you know those sort of off the beaten path stuff and hopefully give their their work a little bit of, of a boost and uh you know try to create rooting interest for guys um you know outside of their prospect status but just because they're doing cool things and uh see uh jesse he mostly does um you know digital pop art so he's actually working on a tablet and then drawing on a computer screen and uh he's definitely got his own style and i'm you know he's 23 i imagine he'll uh, only continue to improve for a long time so that's a really cool story up on the site right now, and um, we'll wrap things up with this week's conversation with Ben. There's a story coming to the site on the history of uh, Jackie Robinson Ballpark in Daytona, which is one of the most historic ballparks, um, not only in the Florida State League, but really all across minor league baseball, and has been kind of in a unique position as it's compared to other FSL ballparks. But tell us about this one, Ben. Yeah, this will be my last on-the-road story of the year. You know, I was in Daytona in July, and this kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I'm returning to it now to wrap things up. But, you know, in a nutshell, Shell, it's Jackie Robinson Ballpark in Daytona. Uh, the ballpark, its roots go back to 1914. It's one of the oldest in all professional baseball. But in 1946, Jackie Robinson trained there in spring training uh, prior to his season with the AAA Montreal Royals, which preceded his uh, 1947 season breaking the color line. And uh, I talked to a local historian, Bill Schumann, um, who, you know, whose research played a large role in renaming the ballpark park and he was on the uh, Jackie Robinson statue committee committee which got the statue done that's now outside the ballpark and uh, talked to him about how this came about and I I think it's a really interesting story. Why Daytona Beach? Why during in the Jim Crow South where there are other Florida locales that refuse to have Jackie Robinson play? Why did it work in Daytona Beach? And that's because of uh, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, the founder of uh, Bethune-Cookman University, a historically black college. Um, she you know, was a real uh, mover and a shaker for a lack of a better term, uh, you know, served, uh, was an advisor to president Roosevelt, um, you know, was able to get new deal money to the state of, or to Daytona beach and had a lot of clout. So the political atmosphere and culture in Daytona beach was much more open to that sort of thing because of all the legwork that she had done in that community. And, uh, so that's the story coming tomorrow. Uh, just giving a little bit more detail on, uh, why Jackie Robinson ballpark is Jackie Robinson ballpark and, uh, how those events of 19, 1946 came about so that story by the time you're listening to this probably up on the site at milb.com you can check out ben's blog uh bensbiz.mlblogs.com you can follow ben on twitter he is there at ben's biz and uh ben off season stuff coming up we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week and, and get a look at what's coming up uh, as we get into the non-baseball part of the baseball calendar we'll talk to you then yeah well next week you'll be talking to me from uh, des moines at the promo seminar All right. so Man, that'll be exciting right. promo seminar time goodness gracious yeah absolutely and now we have gone late on this segment and i think it's time to start our meeting we have josh jackson uh on a video remote call so we've been looking at josh's <laughs> face uh just watching us like some sort of overlord as we do this uh podcast so um that is fantastic 
so, uh, you know, Josh Jackson, he's a great writer for this website as well, as I'm sure you all know. Follow him on Twitter. And uh, he's bowing to me as I speak. So uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. Sam's just wandering around. We got to start this meeting. Thanks, Ben. So that'll do it. We don't uh, really have much to, to talk to you about for our final segment. We don't get to plug MILB.TV because um, we don't have it until next April. Um, we don't uh, have any Fall League games to plug as of yet. Um, you know, I, I don't know. What are we doing now? We, we have Major League Baseball we could you know, we could talk about, but that's not our show. That's not our thing. You, you know that the Major League postseason races are going on, especially Tyler out west. Yeah, you you're you guys are currently embroiled in one of the uh, tightest races we've, Last night, we've seen so far. Um, after uh, after the uh, the walk off home run, um, the Los Angeles Dodgers getting the victory behind um, generic created MVP 2005 baseball player uh, Chris Taylor, um, Josh Jackson, uh, our resident Los Angeles um, representative um, for MIL. Hero chief. West Coast Bureau, bureau Chief. Our West Coast Bureau Chief, Josh, said uh, – let me see if I can find our exact exchange uh, from last night. He said uh, – here it is. Um, it was like seconds after that home run cleared the fence, and Josh said, this NL West man, and I replied in all caps, don't even start. And he said, I didn't say nothing. <laughs> he, he prodded the bear. He knew exactly he did. what he, he was doing. He knew what he yeah. was doing. He always knows what he's doing. He put his Josh hand in the cage, and he was just like, I don't understand. I don't know where this came from. It was I, said, I don't want to hear a thing. And he said, nothing is literally not a thin. And I said, Okay, then I have to send you the Johnny Tightlips gif from The Simpsons <laughs> of Johnny Tightlips saying, I ain't saying nothing. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're all embroiled in all kinds of craziness uh, for the Major League Baseball postseason races. And that's kind of the cool thing about when the minor league season ends, we get to sit back and, like, fully enjoy the Major League playoff races. Like, everything else winds down, and we all – everybody in the baseball world gets to lock in on the final couple of weeks of Major League Baseball and on to the postseason. So, um, it's a fun time of year. A very fun time of year. And uh, we'll uh, we'll say goodbye for the final time in the 2018 season from MILB.com's The Show Before the Show podcast. But – off-season podcasts start next week we got uh, some good some good stuff uh, already planned for next week sam yeah next week speaking of josh jackson and kelsey hannigan was on the show today uh next week we're planning on bringing all four of us back those of us who have stuck with us throughout the season uh will remember that we had uh you know before the season we all made predictions we talked about who would win the joe bauman home run award uh, who would be the top prospect going into 2019. We made all sorts of predictions. So next week we'll circle back. We will kind of put three strikes off to the side. We'll bring Josh and Kelsey and revisit some of our predictions where we went right, where we went wrong, uh, and what happened to, to make us right and make us wrong. Uh, so look forward to that next week. Just because the offseason has arrived uh, does not mean this train is a stopping. I know that Josh is very happy with one of his predictions from last year. And uh, or from uh, from this season, from last March, whenever we did those, very unhappy with another one, which he said negates his good one. So uh, be tuned in for that. <laughs> um, so uh, find out be, next week. Find which out. Which. Stay tuned for the thrilling conclusion. Um, that'll be uh, that'll be next week. So get pumped and uh, join us then uh, for Sam Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from sky skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.